People are evil. An honest reaction about comedy and honesty will get you everywhere. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Strangely enough, I happen to be Jay Sheldon, so that works out just perfectly. Happy uh, happy Monday. Welcome into Facebook, Twitch.tv, YouTube, and Rumble.com. Thank you, Rumble folks. We love you. I got a new shirt. Look, very cool. I bought it just for this show. Well, not for this show, but this show. One more episode. <laughs> this is our 246th episode. Really? Seriously? Yes, 246 of these bad boys we've been doing. And thank you for those of you who have subscribed and liked, uh, whether it's on YouTube, rumble.com, which is where we would really love to see you. Uh, Facebook, of course, we've got hundreds of... Are we over a thousand? I think so. I, I don't know. Anyway, between subscribers and followers, I think we're over a thousand. And uh, and of course, Twitch.tv, our great audience over there on Twitch. Thank you. Um, also, our podcast listeners, thank you so much. You'll find us on Apple, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Radio Public, uh, Geo Seven in India, all kinds. Of, what wherever your podcast platform is, I'm there. Just look for the Jay Sheldon Show and hit follow or subscribe. And, uh, and that's it. And thank you. We get hundreds of those downloads every week, and we appreciate it. All right. And one last little uh, <clears throat> request. If you'd like to support the show, we don't have any advertisers here. We will eventually, hopefully, get some advertisers, but at the moment, we don't. And uh, by the way, if you'd like to advertise on the show, Feel free, send me an email. Show at jsheldon.com is our J. Sheldon Show address. Show, S-H-O-W, at jsheldon.com, and we'll talk. Meantime, if you'd like to help support the show, because it ain't cheap to put this thing together, trust me, between uh, paying for software and rights to be on channels and things like that, yeah, you actually have to pay for that. Um, if you'd like to help, Patreon.com slash Sheldon. Go over there. It's very inexpensive, and every little bit would help, and we really appreciate it. Patreon.com slash Sheldon. Luna Amethyst. Coming home from a con. We, I accidentally went to an anime con uh, this past weekend, legs hurt, got blisters. Well, good for you. <laughs> it isn't really a con unless you get blisters and your legs hurt. Yeah, we went to uh, Damen Mall, which is a, a mall here in Malaysia, and we didn't know. That's not why we went, but they were having a anime con. I don't know. Is that what you call it? Uh, Boomer guy doesn't know this stuff. But anyway, there were hundreds of uh, guys and gals all dressed up in their favorite anime outfits. Some were remarkable, absolutely incredible. Believe it or not, old Boomer Jay actually recognized a few of the characters. I couldn't name them, but I know I'd seen them before. So yeah, uh, comic cons and anime cons are, are very, very huge uh, here in Malaysia. And there was one just this past weekend at Damen Mall. We actually wound up there. So it was cool. It was fun. They were having a great time. All right. Let's uh, have a great time talking about this little lady. Where is she? Where's her? In there she is. 
Miko update. Yes, Miko update. All right, you already got a preview, so now you can see. Uh, we bought her a new toy. Uh, I know, I know. It's like toy number 53. Uh, and she loves it. It was great. We went to Huga because I wanted to pick up a light bulb. Don't ask. Uh, anyway, they had these dog pull toys, which are great. It's a very short little video. And uh, if you're listening on the podcast, just te- check out our uh, rumble.com slash Jay Sheldon. And you can see the video. Here it is. There she is with her new toy. You see, it's one of those pull toy type things, but she likes just grabbing the ball and running around. She's not so big on she grabs one end, I grab the other, and we play tug of war, although she'll do that. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is her with her favorite new toy. And there she is putting it down amongst her thousands of other toys. <laughs> Honestly, I looked in her house tonight. It's full. I don't know how there's room for Miko in there. It is full of toys. All toys that, of course, we bought her and or people have given her as gifts. Uh, let's see. I think NSR is my favorite indie game, says Luna. Thank you for that. That's nice of you to say it. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, just thought it over the other day. Uh, cool. Miko and Pup. Yeah, Miko Pup is doing great. She's uh, having a ball, having fun, and enjoying life in general. Uh, have I got anything else I can share with you about Miko? I think that's pretty much it. Oh, oh. This is cool. Hang on. Let me mute this. Check this out. Uh, Let me kill the voice here. All right. And I'll switch over to my other cam. There we go. All right. Now, you see this building here? Hang on. Let me get my mouse back. There we go. You see this building? Now, watch behind the building at what happens here. Check this out. This is so cool. This is one of those 3D projection things. But... Watch what's featured in it. Look behind here. Hey, you see the clock face coming up. Something's there. Ah, jumping out, popping through. It looks just like Miko. <laughs> Look at that. That is amazing. It's one of those 3D projection things, and it is absolutely incredible. Look at that. Grabs the grabs the logo for the brand, sticks it up there, and there you go. <laughs> Wow. I don't know what hit is, but that's really cool. Very impressive. All right. Cool beans. Okay. Okay. Enough of that crap. Uh, Let's get on into it. Coming up, by the way, later we'll do another. Well, I think we're going to finish the chapter uh, of this adventure in Sherlock Holmes. So we'll see what happens. All right. My headline tonight was people are evil. And (sighs) I'm telling you, there's just story after story after story that you could actually share, which proves that people are evil. But this one might be probably the worst one I've seen this year, this month, this decade, ever. This is from World of Buzz. The link is in our show notes. It's absolutely disgusting. A wife is unwilling to sign a medical treatment form for her sick husband, who was a cheater. Not kidding. When an individual has to go through life or death situations, their fate usually lies in their family's hands. Recently, according to the Oriental Daily, a 38-year-old husband from China was rushed to the emergency department 
suffering from a brain hemorrhage. According to the on-call doctor, he said the patient was rushed into the ER and needed immediate medical attention. There was a woman crying uncontrollably and begging us to save her husband, in inverted commas. We managed to stabilize his condition and was planning to discuss with his wife on the possible treatments for him. When we went out, we realized the woman who was claiming to be his wife wasn't there. Instead, there was another lady who was his actual wife. Dun, dun, dun. After speaking to the wife, we found out the husband had actually cheated on her for close to 10 years. Turns out the wife knew all these years that her husband was cheating on her. She mentioned that the she single-handedly took care of the children and he barely cared for them. He would spend most of his money on his new lover, she said. The doctors told the wife the treatments would require uh, a uh, that were required were very expensive and asked if she would want to continue with the treatment. Here's where it goes dark. Very dark. The woman thought about it for five minutes and she went back to the doctor. She told the doctor she will not sign his treatment papers and they can just go ahead and pull the plug. Many netizens thought the wife's actions were too cruel. Some say he got what he deserved. Well, you are losers. You're idiots. I'd use a stronger word, but I don't want to get banned. She refused. Now, there's no follow-up here. It doesn't say what happened. I can't believe the doctors would have actually pulled the plug. But then again, it's China, and China has people like this loser lady who refused to sign the medical treatment papers. Obviously, he was not able to sign them. He had a brain hemorrhage. But his wife refused to sign. I can only hope that one day soon, karma will catch up with this loser lady. And she is a loser in every sense of the... Did I tell you people are evil? This is pure... Look, I don't care. I don't care what he did. If his life depends on your signing a piece of paper, you sign the damn paper. Because he cheated on you, you're, not gonna, you're basically killing him. In fact, she said, pull the plug. What kind of cold-hearted, insensitive loser does this kind of thing? I'll send her an evil eye. Do you know what an evil eye is? It actually exists. You think I'm kidding. I'm surprised because people in Malaysia believe in all kinds of strange myths and old wives' tales and legends and all kinds of, you know, goofy stuff. I'm surprised the evil eye isn't bigger here. There's a, an article that I shared in our show notes tonight. It's from Ranker.com. And it says, don't shrug it off as somebody just throwing shade. The evil eye can actually curse you. 
Was someone at the office a little too complimentary about your promotion? Or was the barista at the coffee shop a little too obsessed with your new shoes? Well, watch out. You may have been cursed by the evil eye. Dun, dun, dun. What does it actually mean to say someone's giving you the evil eye? Well, in a lot of cultures, the evil eye indicates jealousy, particularly toward healthy, attractive, wealthy, or otherwise fortunate individuals, if you've had a run of good luck. The evil eye, as we know it today, comes primarily from the ancient Greeks, but the symbol itself is likely about 10,000 years old and present in numerous cultures around the world. Remember the Stygian witches? Give me the eye! (laughs) Boy, there's an old-school reference for you. Uh, The evil eye has been associated with popes, witches, and even particular animals. And that's not even the most bizarre historic fact about the evil eye. Cultures near and far have traditions aplenty that will help you get rid of the evil eye curse, as long as you're willing to suspend reason for about a minute. And uh, suspend reason may not be a bad idea. So it goes on. Are you pretty or rich? You might get cursed by the evil eye. It talks about the evil eye has been known to have actual physical symptoms. Yes, no, we don't want to sign up. And uh, you could be cursing someone without even knowing it. When you do that, like you know, that kind of sideways glance thing, you're like looking at them, stretching one eye out. You could be cursing someone with the evil eye. You better be careful. Since uh, Hindus believe that women most often give the evil eye, women will go so far as to paint their eyelids black, not only to protect themselves, but also prevent themselves from cursing another. Wow. Two popes, Leo VIII and Pius IX, were believed to have been born with the evil eye. Some cultures have different, rather interesting ways of dealing with the curse including in Bangladesh, drawing a black dot on the forehead of children or behind the ears of attractive women is said to protect them against the curse. Uh, In Greece, Armenia, and Assyria, the curse is even more simple, the cure rather. Uh, You just need a quick pinch on the butt. Just a little pinch and the curse is snapped. And the curse has apparently been around for a long time. Read the article. It's fascinating. It really is cool. And there's some really cool history of the evil eye and how it all, uh, how it all came about. Very strange. The evil eye. I'll give you the evil eye. As to that Chinese lady who wouldn't sign the paperwork, there's an evil eye for you. <coughs> all right. We're also going to give a very big evil eye to the uh, morons who have uh, temporarily, hopefully, closed the Crackhouse Comedy Club. Yes, that stupid, insane thing is still going on because people apparently have nothing better to do. But uh, Sim Tong, a comedian, stand-up comic, he's a very funny guy, he's a good friend, uh, wrote a piece. It's just words on a page. There's no point in sharing it uh, here on the show with a visual. However... It, uh, it, it is in our show notes if you want to read it or share it. It's a public post. It's open to anyone to see. And boy, he hit the nail on the head. He really did. And this not only applies to these idiot losers in Malaysia who are 
charging Rizal with a crime, which is freaking insane, temporarily have closed the Crack House Comedy Club, which is almost as insane. But here's what Sim wrote, and I'm sharing this because it makes the point, and I couldn't agree more. This is my point of view, and if I lose friends and alienate people, I'll live with it. My wife will definitely not approve of this level of honesty. Since the crack house news broke, many of my friends have been asking me if I'm worried about getting into trouble for what I say on stage. And my shorter answer is, don't worry, I don't joke about those things. The longer answer is, I actually would write a joke about religion. Absolutely. I just haven't thought of one good enough to be worth the consequences in this country. Because I know that someone will get offended on the internet, the whole thing will be taken out of context, some professional police report lodger will rile up an angry mob, the director of Mat Kilau will come and plug his movie, and I'll be spending the next few months explaining a joke. I just don't have a joke worth all that at the moment. I think people should be allowed to joke about any topic, just as I think people should be allowed to talk about any topic. But they have to be going, uh, but they have to be sensitive to the context. It has nothing to do with topics. We're not going to be a developed nation if we disallow large swaths of conversations. Boy, truer words, Sim. If you really look into it, many of the jokes that allegedly insult religion aren't even insulting to the religion. Many of them are just anecdotes about how the writer practices their religion in their family and how the situation surrounding it that's funny. Very specific context. In Indonesia, the people understand the joke is about the situation and the video goes viral on social media and nobody makes a police report. In Malaysia, people will hear those words followed by some laughter and feel like their religion has been insulted because in their experience, laughter follows insults. Therefore, laughter means insults. Post hoc ergo prompter hoc. Yeah. Well, what about the cases when a joke is actually critical of a religion? Should it then have been written and performed? You're not going to like this, but my answer is still yes. Some of the best comedy bits ever written have been critical of authority, in some cases of religious institutions. George Carlin's Invisible Man, Ten Commandments bits are critical of core beliefs within Christianity and are nothing short of the stuff of legends. As a writer, I think the world would be a bleaker place without those bits. I'm not a Christian, but I believe a discussion on Christianity would be incomplete without addressing the questions raised in those jokes. And yet, have those jokes destroyed Christianity? It is no longer the biggest religion in the world. I think you'll find the answer is far from it. People who have faith are going to have faith. Relax. What you believe in will hold up to scrutiny. Ask your religious leaders how to answer questions instead of how to shut down discussions. That way, you'll be better informed, your religion will grow, and you will be happier and make fewer police reports. Thank you, Simtong. Simtong, fantastic writing. I shared the link to that. It's a public post, and it's in our show notes tonight. 
And I encourage you to both read it and share it out with your friends because, Sim, you, bang, hit the nail on the head. Wow. All right. We're a little China-centric tonight, aren't we? That's okay. Take a look at this. Again, if you're in the podcast listeners uh, audience, you'll have to check out the link in our show notes. But I want you to do something here. Take a look at this picture. How old would you say this kid is? This is for a story from World of Buzz. I know. If you're cheating, you read the top line. But just take a look. Like maybe, what, eight, nine years old? He's 27 years old. 27. 27 year old Chinese man struggles to find work because he has the face of, well, they say a seven year old child. But you know, they're not kidding. Take a look at this. This guy is 27 years old. You had friends who would tease you for getting rejected for things because you had the face, a face problem. Well, this unfortunate 27-year-old in China is losing out on job opportunities because of exactly that. Based on a report from Must Share News, 27-year-old man named Mu Sheng having difficulties finding work because of his childlike face and frame. In fact, even his voice, apparently, is almost like a child's. There's no video here. It's just pictures. But look at that. He gained attention online after a recruiter had stumbled upon him outside of his office, where Mu Shang was carrying a bag in a sweaty state. The recruiter initially thought he was a child. He was a kid, a seven-year-old. But after having a quick chat, he was shocked to find out the man was actually 27 years old, confirmed by his ID card. He explained he's barely eaten anything, as uh, what little money he had was used to look for a job. He also managed to borrow some money from his cousin. Mr. Shang's father suffered from a stroke, unable to work. His mom has uh, remarried, and because of this, uh, Mu Sheng has come to take on the responsibilities of making a livelihood for his family. Now, following this story making news, many people have expressed their sympathy and have contacted him with job offers, which is fantastic. He has since accepted one of the offers, yes, nice, and hopes that with income, he can help his family and find a partner. Take a look at that 27-year-old Mu Shang. Unbelievable. Wow. Can you? I mean, he's twenty-seven. Can you imagine what the guy's going to look like when he's like fifty? I, I, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> Man, all right. Okay, honesty. Uh, this is uh, probably our good news story for the night because it, it is, <laughs> it is a good news story. Um, a principle to hold on to. This is a story from the Star, which is a major news outlet here in Malaysia. Uh, the link is in our show notes. Uh, it's from Joho Baru, and uh, honesty is the best policy. At least it is for taxi driver Hassan Syed Ali. He drove 40 kilometers from Larkin in Joho Baru to Kulai to return a wallet left by a passenger. And that's this amazing guy right there. Wow. 
Uh, the story continues. 54 years old. He's been driving taxi for 10 years. He said the incident happened the 14th of July, so just a couple weeks ago. Um, after he picked up a couple along Jalan Wong Ah Fook here, uh, they came from Singapore, wanted to go a mall, uh, to a mall in Skudai, so I sent them there. And after they disembarked from the car, I picked up another passenger not far from the mall who then told me about a wallet that was in the back seat. Hazan added that after he sent the passenger to Larkin, he checked the wallet to look for the owner's address, which turned out to be in Kulai. He decided to return the wallet, which contained cash, documents, and bank cards. He's quoted here as saying, It took me an hour and a half to drive to Kulai and locate the house, but the owner wasn't home at the time. I spoke to one of the neighbors and asked whether they knew the wallet's owner. The neighbor told me they knew the person and called him immediately. I then spoke to the person on the phone, told him I'd given his wallet to the neighbor before leaving and continuing my work. Adding the person thanked him several times during their conversation on the phone. Hazan said he did uh, what he did was a small matter, as he believes that honesty is the best policy. The owners must have been in a panic when they realized the wallet was missing. I would have felt the same if it happened to me, he added. Joan Chong, the wife of the man who dropped the wallet, said she and her husband were very grateful to Hassan. 40-year-old Malaysian with Singapore PR status said her husband had only realized his wallet was missing when they were already inside the shopping center. Went back to the drop-off area hoping to catch the cab driver, but he'd already left and they didn't know how to reach him. So they got in another taxi, went back to uh, Jalan Wong Afuk, hoping to see the driver there, but they also couldn't find him. And while her husband was in the middle of lodging a report, he got the call from the neighbor saying the taxi driver was in front of their home to return the wallet. We're very relieved, very grateful. Not only did he return the wallet, he drove all the way to Kulai and spent time looking for us. Chong said she posted about the incident on Facebook, shared over 2,800 times, and received 11,000 reactions. And we're one of them. Wow. A hearty hi-ho. Congratulations, man. Honesty is indeed the best policy. And say what you want about taxi drivers. This guy's got all the right stuff. Wow. Fantastic. Great job, Hazan. Excellent, excellent story. What a great, you see, that's the kind of good news stuff we like sharing on this show. Not some idiot Chinese lady who tells him to pull the plug on her husband. Unbelievable. <laughs> Excuse me. All right, let's do a quick coffee break here. Mm. And we will move on over to our book. I think, I think we've got time to finish tonight. Uh, if not, we'll wrap it up on Wednesday's show because this is a very long chapter and an interesting adventure here with this uh, giant old dilapidated mansion and the woman who died and the strange stories that uh, are around it. And now that Holmes has seen the place, um, it's a wicked, wicked world, he said, when a clever man turns his brain to crime. It's the worst of all. I think I've seen enough now, Miss Stoner. With your permission, we'll walk out upon the lawn. Our adventure continues with Sherlock Holmes. 
I had never seen my friend's face so grim or his brow so dark, as it was when we turned from the scene of this investigation. We'd walked several times up and down the lawn, neither Miss Stoner nor myself liking to break in upon his thoughts, before he roused himself from his riviere. It is very essential, Miss Stoner, he said, that you should absolutely follow my advice in every respect. I shall most certainly do so. The matter is too serious for any hesitation. Your life may depend on your compliance. I assure you that I am in your hands. In the first place, both my friend and I must spend the night in your room. Both Miss Stoner and I gazed at him in astonishment. Yes, it must be so. Let me explain. I believe that that is the village inn over there. Uh, Yes, that's the crown. Very good. Your windows would be visible from there? Certainly. You must confine yourself to your room on pretense of a headache. Now, when your stepfather comes back, then when you hear him retire for the night, open the shutters of your window, undo the hasp, put your lamp there as a signal to us, and then withdraw quietly with everything which you are likely to want into the room which you used to occupy. I have no doubt that in spite of the repairs, you could manage there for one night. Oh, yes, easily. The rest you will leave in our hands. But what will you do? We shall spend the night in your room. We shall investigate the cause of this noise which has disturbed you. I believe, Mr. Holmes, that you've already made up your mind, said Miss Stoner, laying her hand upon my companion's sleeve. Perhaps I have. Then for pity's sake, tell me what is the cause of my sister's death. I should prefer to have clearer proofs before I speak. You can at least tell me whether my own thought is correct, and if she died from some sudden fright. No, I do not think so. I think there was probably some more tangible cause. And now, Miss Stoner, we must leave you. For if Dr. Roylott returned and saw us, our journey would be in vain. Uh, Goodbye, and be brave. If you will do what I have told you, you may rest assured that we shall soon drive away from the dangers that threaten you. Sherlock Holmes and I had no difficulty in engaging a bedroom and sitting room at the Crown Inn. They were on the upper floor, and from our window we could command a view of the avenue gate and of the inhabited wing of Stoke Moran Manor House. At dusk we saw Dr. Grimsley Roylott drive past, his huge form looming up from beside the little figure of the lad who drove him. The boy had some slight difficulty in undoing the heavy iron gates, and we heard the hoarse roar of the doctor's voice and saw the fury with which he shook his fists at him. The trap drove on, and a few minutes later we saw a sudden light spring up among the trees as the lamp was lit in one of the sitting rooms. "'Do you know, Watson?' said Holmes, as we sat together in the gathering darkness. "'I have really some scruples as to taking you tonight. There is a distinct element of danger. Can I be of assistance? Your presence might be invaluable. Then I shall certainly come.' It is very kind of you. You speak of danger. 
You've evidently seen more in these rooms than was visible to me. No, but I fancy that I may have deduced a little more. I imagine that you saw all that I did. I saw nothing remarkable save the bell rope. But what purpose that could answer, I confess, is more than I can imagine. You saw the ventilator, too? Yes, but I do not think that it's such a very unusual thing to have a small opening between two rooms. It's so small a rat could hardly pass through. I knew we should find a ventilator before ever we came to Stoke Moran. My dear Holmes! Oh, yes, I did. You remember, in her statement, she said her sister could smell Dr. Roylott's cigar. Now, of course, that suggested at once there must be a communication between the two rooms. It could only be a small one, or it would have been remarked upon at the coroner's inquiry. I deduced a ventilator. But what harm can there be in that? Well, there is at least curious coincidence of dates. A ventilator is made, a cord is hung, and a lady who sleeps on the bed dies. Does that not strike you? I cannot as yet see any connection. Did you observe anything very peculiar about the bed? No. It was clamped to the floor. Did you ever see a bed fastened like that before? I cannot say that I have. The lady could not move her bed. It must always be in the same relative position to the ventilator and to the rope, for so we may call it, since it was clearly never meant as a bell-pull. Holmes, I cried, I seem to see dimly what you're hinting at. We're, we're only just time to prevent some subtle and horrible crime. Subtle enough, and horrible enough. When a doctor goes wrong, he is the first of criminals. He has nerve and knowledge. Palmer and Pritchard were among the heads of their profession. The man strikes even deeper, but I think, Watson, that we shall be able to strike deeper still. But we shall have horrors enough before the night is over. For goodness sake, let us have a quiet pipe. Turn our minds for a few hours to something more cheerful. About nine o'clock, the light among the trees was extinguished, and all was dark in the direction of the manor house. Two hours passed slowly away, and then suddenly, at the stroke of eleven, a single bright light shone out right in front of us. That's our signal, said Holmes, springing to his feet. It comes from the middle window. As we passed out, he exchanged a few words with the landlord, explaining that we were going out on a late visit to an acquaintance, and it was possible that we might spend the night there. A moment later, we were out on a dark road, a chill wind blowing in our faces, and one yellow light twinkling in front of us through the gloom to guide us on our somber errand. There was little difficulty in entering the grounds, for unrepaired breaches gaped in the old park wall. Making our way among the trees, we reached the lawn, crossed it, and were about to enter through the window. When out from a clump of laurel bushes, there darted what seemed to be a hideous and distorted child, which threw itself upon the grass with writhing limbs, and then ran swiftly across the lawn into the darkness. My God, I whispered, did you see it? Holmes was for the moment as startled as I. His hands closed like a vice upon my wrist in agitation. 
Then he broke into a low laugh, and he put his lips to my ear. It's a nice household, he murmured. That is the baboon. I'd forgotten the strange pets which the doctor affected. There was a cheetah, too. Perhaps we might find it upon our shoulders at any moment. I confessed I felt easier in my mind when, after following Holmes' example and slipping off my shoes, I found myself inside the bedroom. My companion noiselessly closed the shutters, moved the lamp into the table, and cast his eyes around the room. All was as we had seen it in the daytime. Creeping up to me and making a trumpet of his hand, he whispered into my ear again so gently that it was all I could do to distinguish the words. The least sound would be fatal to our plans. I nodded to show I'd heard. We must sit without light. He would see it through the ventilator. I nodded again. Do not go to sleep. Your very life may depend on it. Have your pistol ready in case we should need it. I will sit on the side of the bed, and you in that chair. I took out my revolver and laid it on the corner of the table. Holmes had brought up a long, thin cane, and this he placed upon the bed beside him. By it, he laid the box of matches and the stump of a candle. Then he turned down the lamp, and we were left in darkness. How shall I ever forget that dreadful vigil? I could not hear a sound, not even the drawing of a breath, and yet I know my companion sat wide open within a few feet of me in the same state of nervous tension in which I find myself. The shutters cut off the least ray of light, and we waited in absolute darkness. From outside came the occasional cry of a night bird, and once at our very window a long-drawn cat-like whine, which told us the cheetah was indeed at liberty. Far away we could hear the deep tones of the parish clock, which boomed out every quarter of an hour. How long they seemed, those quarters! Twelve struck, and one, two three, and still we waited silently for whatever may befall. Suddenly, there was a momentary gleam of a light up in the direction of the ventilator, which vanished immediately. It was succeeded by a strong smell of burning oil and heated metal. Someone in the next room had lit a dark lantern. I heard a gentle sound of movement, and then all was silent once more though the smell grew stronger. For half an hour I waited with straining ears. Then suddenly another sound became audible, a very gentle soothing sound, like that of a small jet of steam escaping from a kettle. The instant we heard it, Holmes sprang up from the bed, struck a match, and lashed furiously with his cane at the bell pole. You see it, Watson? You see it? but I saw nothing. At the moment when Holmes struck the light, I heard a low, clear whistle, but the sudden glare flashing into my watery eyes made it impossible for me to tell what it was at which my friend had lashed so savagely. I could, however, see that his face was deathly pale and filled with horror and loathing. He had ceased to strike and was gazing up at the ventilator when suddenly there broke from the silence of the night the most horrible cry, 
to which I have ever listened. It swelled up louder and louder, a hoarse yell of pain and fear and anger all mingled into one dreadful shriek. They say that away down in the village and even in the distant parsonage, that cry raised sleepers from their beds. It struck cold to our hearts, and I stood gazing at Holmes and he at me until the last echoes of it had died away into the silence from which it rose. What can it mean? I gasped. It means that it's all over, Holmes answered. And perhaps after all, it is for the best. Take your pistol, and we will enter Dr. Roylott's room. With a grave face, he lit the lamp and led the way down the corridor. Twice he struck at the chamber door without any reply from within. He then turned the handle and entered, I at his heels, with the cocked pistol in my hand. It was a singular sight which met my eyes. On the table stood a dark lantern with the shutter half open, throwing a brilliant beam of light upon the iron safe, the door of which was ajar. Beside this table on the wooden chair sat Dr. Grimsby Roylott, clad in a long gray dressing gown, his bare ankles protruding beneath and his feet thrust into red, heelish Turkish slippers. Across his lap lay a short stock with a long lash, which we'd noticed during the day. His chin was cocked upward, his eyes were fixed in a dreadful, rigid stare at the corner of the ceiling. Round his brow he had a peculiar yellow band with brownish speckles which seemed to be bound tightly round his head. As, he, as we entered, he neither made sound nor motion. The band, the speckled band, whispered Holmes. I took a step forward. In an instant his strange headgear began to move and there reared itself from among his hair the squat, diamond-shaped head and puffed neck of a loathsome serpent. "'It is a swamp adder,' cried Holmes, "'the deadliest snake in India. "'He's died within ten seconds of being bitten. "'Violence does, in truth, recoil upon the violent.' and the schemer falls into the pit which he digs for another. Let us thrust this creature back into its den, and we can remove Miss Stoner to some place of shelter, and let the county police know what's happened. As he spoke, he drew the dog-whip swiftly from the dead man's lap, and throwing the noose around the reptile's neck, he threw it from its horrid perch, and carried it at arm's length, throwing it into the iron safe which he closed upon it. Such are the true facts of the death of Dr. Grimsby Roylott of Stoke Moran. It is not necessary I should prolong a narrative which has already run in too great length by telling how we broke the sad news to the terrified girl, how we conveyed her by the morning train to the care of her good aunt at Harrow, and of how the slow process of official inquiry came to the conclusion that the doctor met his fate while indiscreetly playing with a dangerous pet. The little which I had yet to learn of the case was told to me by Sherlock Holmes as we traveled back the next day. I had, said he, 
come to an entirely erroneous conclusion, which shows, my dear Watson, how dangerous it always is to reason from insufficient data. The presence of the gypsies and the use of the word band, which was used by the poor girl, no doubt to explain the appearance which she'd caught of a hurried glimpse by the light of her match, sufficient to put me on an entirely wrong scent. I can only claim the merit that I instantly reconsidered my position when, however, it became clear to me that whatever danger threatened an occupant of the room could not come from the window or the door. My attention was speedily drawn, as I've already remarked to you, to the ventilator and to the bell rope which hung down to the bed. The discovery that this was a dummy and the bed was clamped to the floor instantly gave rise to the suspicion that the rope was there as a bridge for something passing through the hole and coming to the bed. The idea of a snake instantly occurred to me, and when I coupled it with my knowledge the doctor was furnished with a supply of creatures from India, I felt it was probably on the right track. The idea of using a form of poison which could not possibly be discovered by any chemical test was just such a one as would occur to a clever and ruthless man who had eastern training. The rapidity with which such a poison would take effect would also, from his point of view, be an advantage. It would be a sharp-eyed coroner indeed who distinguished two sharp little punctures which would show where the poison fangs had done their work. Then I thought of the whistle. Of course, he must recall the snake before the morning light revealed it to the victim. He'd trained it, probably by the use of milk, which we saw, to return him to him when summoned. He would put it through his ventilator at the hour he thought best, with a certainty it would crawl down the rope and land on the bed. It might or might not bite the occupant. Perhaps she might escape every night for a week. But sooner or later, she must fall victim. I'd come to these conclusions before I ever entered the room. An inspection of his chair showed me he'd been in the habit of standing on it, which, of course, would be necessary in order that he should reach the ventilator. The sight of the safe, the saucer of milk, and the loop of the whipcord were enough to finally dispel any doubts which may have remained. The metallic clang heard by Miss Stoner was obviously caused by her stepfather hastily closing the door of his safe upon its terrible occupant. Having once made up my mind, you know the steps I took in order to put the matter to proof. I heard the creature hiss, as I have no doubt had that you did also, and instantly I lit the light and attacked it, with the results of driving it through the ventilator, and also with the result of causing it to turn upon its master on the other side. Some of the blows of my cane came home, and roused its snakish temper, so that it flew upon the first person it saw. In this way I am no doubt directly indirectly responsible for Dr. Crimsby Roylott's death, and I cannot say that it is likely to weigh very heavily upon my conscience. Whoa! Who would have figured that one out? Sherlock. <laughs> All right, that concludes that uh, particular chapter. Our next adventure with Sherlock Holmes coming up on Wednesday night will begin. It is uh, adventure number nine, The Adventure of the Engineer's 
thumb. Hmm. All right. <laughs> it's always something. That's going to do it, folks. Hey, thanks a lot. Wow, you went quite long tonight. Cool beans. All right, thank you. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and share. And if you'd like to help out the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash Sheldon and uh, make a small donation over there. We don't plug that enough or too much, so we, we really thank you, and we appreciate those of you who can do that. Uh, patreon.com slash Sheldon. I'll see you again on Wednesday night at 10, Malaysian time. I'm Jay Sheldon, and this is the Jay Sheldon Show.